Morning. When you see this big boy up here, you know what's coming. And hopefully you're excited about it. <laughs> but it's, a, it's always a pleasure, it's always an honor to be able to bring the Word of God to you. Uh, and I pray that God blesses it this morning. Oblivious. My son Abraham is oblivious. He's oblivious to all that's around him when he is watching TV and he's playing his video games. We could be asking him to do something. There could probably be a hurricane outside. But if he's watching TV or he's playing his game, everything else around him is of little concern to him. But being oblivious can often bring funny stories to them, right? When people are not aware of their surroundings or concerned with what's around them. Um, and so these stories kind of illustrate that. A man tells of him and his wife going on a hike on this trail. And it's supposed to kind of loop around and bring them back out. But they were kind of pressed for time. And so they decided to, I'm just, well, we're just going to turn around and go back. And as they go back, they meet another group. And she's like, I'm going to ask them how much further it would have been if we would have continued on the, on the route. And so she goes and talks to this man. And after a couple minutes of talking to him, they part ways and continue back on the trail or continue home. And the husband could not help but to keep his laughter in during that whole exchange. And as they're walking back, he looks at his wife and says, you know that was Tom Hanks, right? No, didn't cross her mind that she was talking to a famous actor and his wife that was walking. A story that they still laugh about today. Or take this instance of um, this gentleman's mom, who he says is a, a sports fan. And so she sees this big, fit-looking guy in the store, and she can't help but to think that he, he looks familiar. He must be a professional athlete or something. And so she goes up to the only other short, weird-looking man that's in the store, and he asks him, he's like, he must be some kind of professional athlete, right? And the short little guy looks at her and says, that's my bodyguard, and I'm Elton John. Oh. <laughs> it happens, right? Oblivious, not aware of or concerned with what is happening around one's person. These are some pretty funny examples of people being oblivious. They're so focused that they don't really recognize the famous person or famous artist that they're talking with. We can give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they, don't, they haven't seen that actor's work or they don't listen to that artist's music. And really when celebrities or famous people go out, they try to keep a low profile. They try to disguise themselves so that they don't bring unwanted attention. And so, we can offer them grace because we've been there, right? We've been in that state before. How often do we go somewhere, learn something, witness something, and not know its significance until much later? Something happens to us that triggers in us a new understanding to that previous event. We don't really know the significance of different scenes that we may watch in a movie or read in a book until the author or the director kind of reveals it to us later on in that film or book. 
And this is a thing that happens in our passage this morning, as we're about to dive into. We meet two individuals who are oblivious to who they're talking to as they travel on the road. They meet a stranger on their way home, and it isn't until later that they fully realize the significance of that moment. And so if you're able, would you join me in the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be in chapter 24, looking at verses 13 to 35. It's a little bit of a lengthier passage, but if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? This comes from Luke 24, 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Aramaeus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with one another, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, face downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he had said, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So, they, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and realized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within while he was talking with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Immediately, I'm sure you're thinking the exact same thing that I'm thinking after reading this. How on earth did these two disciples not recognize Jesus? How on earth did they not recognize him? 
they were his followers, right? They heard all of his teachings. They witnessed his miracles that he performed. So how in the world did they not recognize Jesus? The scripture tells us that they are kept from recognizing him, recognizing him. Some scholars believe that Satan blinded them to Jesus' identity. I guess that's a possibility, right? Like we can conclude in our own life that the devil kind of distracts us from a lot of different things in our life. He can distract us from spending our time personally with God, whether it's the work, assignments, and just the natural busyness of life. So it's, it's definitely a possibility that the devil kind of blinded them to his identity. But I want us to consider another possibility because I think it fits just a little better. Let's consider their circumstances. Their world had just been turned upside down a few days ago. They had just witnessed their Messiah brutally beaten and killed on a cross. Their hope for Jesus to restore and to redeem their people had died with him on that cross in Golgotha. They went to Jerusalem with great expectation, but now they're walking home with their heads down, still trying to figure out what all happened. It's possible, right, that their despair, the despair of their circumstances may have blinded them to recognizing the risen Lord was walking with them. It's possible, right? Because we've kind of been there in that kind of situation before where our circumstances and situations that arise in our life kind of just put the blinders on to everything else around us, right? We can have gone through a tragedy or have lost someone and just even the most obvious things we can be oblivious to because of that situation or circumstance. And so the director, Jesus, is kind of setting up this significance for later on in the story. And so Jesus asked Jesus' two disciples, hey, what have you been discussing as you're traveling? Jesus is kind of being nosy. He's kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. And this kind of made them literally kind of stop in their tracks. They literally stopped walking with a, a downcast look on their face kind of in such disbelief that this person will not know what's going on. Like that, really? Kind of look on their face. It's the kind of look that Austin gave me when I told him I haven't seen the Lord of the Rings movies. He's like, really? Oh yeah, that look, yes, you know. But Cleopas asks, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And I'm pretty partial to my interpretation of that. It's kind of like, bro, have you been living under a rock these past couple of days? Do you not know what's been going on? It's, it's kind of like asking people who lived in New York City after 9-11, hey, what's new? Like everybody should know, right? It's kind of something you probably wouldn't even share because they might be offended by that, right? But... Cleopas and his companion began to recount everything that Jesus, that they had seen of Jesus and heard. They told Jesus the story of his life, his teaching, and his death. 
They even mentioned that some of their women had found that the tomb was empty. And some of their other friends had kind of verified that, but they still not had seen Jesus. And they're still trying to figure it all out. And so as followers of Jesus, they knew exactly what the scripture said. They knew the stories inside and out. These are things that they learned since they were younger. But they were missing something. They knew what it said, but they were unable to faithfully interpret the story. And I can resonate with that just a little bit. Because growing up in the church, I heard all those Sunday school stories, right? All those biblical stories of David and Goliath, Jonah and the big fish, right? Daniel and the lion's den. I knew those stories. I could answer the questions. I knew all the characters in the story. But I still lacked something. I lacked the understanding and the meaning of those stories. And so Jesus, being Jesus, kind of plays along, right? He kind of plays along and allows Cleopas to offer his perspective and his assessment as limited as it might be of those recent tragedies. A perspective that is completely unaware of what God may be doing in the midst of that, in the midst of everything that have been confusing them. One scholar says, there's a nice irony in the disciples accusing Jesus of being the one who does not know when it is really they who do not know who is talking to them and that the resurrection has taken place. We see that Jesus scolds them, calling them foolish and slow in heart to believe. And he goes into this thorough biblical explanation of his suffering, his death, and resurrection. Like he even takes it back to Moses and the prophets, right? Back to their, their childhood, back to everything that they learned about the text and the scriptures. He started with, the, with Moses and the prophets and they learned from the prophets that it was necessary for Christ to reach his destiny by way of suffering. Jesus explains everything for them. And you might think that the disciples would be offended by these strange, strangers' words, right? How foolish are you? How slow in heart are you to believe? But instead of taking offense to kind of Jesus' like finger pointing at them, they instead beg him to stay with them as soon as they got to the village. And through all of this, through Jesus' thorough explanation, they still are oblivious to his presence and his identity. <clears throat> Although the disciples are still blinded by their grief, their confusion, their own expectations and disappointments, they still continue to live, live out that grace of God's kingdom, insisting on the stranger to stay with them. That was a big thing for people back in the day to invite someone into their home to show that hospitality. And so this same kind of kingdom that offers hospitality, the hospitality that... Um, was shaping their own life by God's grace, they offer that to the stranger. And though the circumstances, they maybe is, so though the, the despair of their circumstances may have been blinding them from realizing Jesus and who he was, I think the opportunity that they opened up for hospitality was the possibility of the recognition that came with the meal that they were about to partake together. It kind of reminds me of, of Thomas from last week, right? 
pastor talked about Thomas and how um, Jesus shown up to the disciples and was there offering peace to them, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there, and so when he came back, the disciples were like, we've seen the risen Lord, he was here. Thomas was like, no, he wasn't. Until I can put flesh on flesh, he wasn't, I don't believe it, right? But we see that Thomas was very close to being left behind, but Jesus will not allow that. Jesus came back. And I think the disciples may have missed out on recognizing the risen Lord if it wasn't for them sharing that hospitality that was shown to them. That they may have missed out on sharing the greatest news in human history if they would have just let him continue to walk on. And so we see this, the scene kind of shifts, right? Shifts to inside where they're sharing a meal together. And it's interesting here that Jesus kind of takes on this role as host, right? Jesus is a, is a stranger. He's a visitor. And so shouldn't be the host, but he kind of takes on this role. And there's really no explanation behind it. But he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And it's in that moment that everything is revealed to them. And in that moment, Jesus vanishes. Have you guys seen the movie, The Usual Suspects? This is an older movie. If you have seen it, you may know where I'm going with this. But if you haven't, that's fine because I'm going to spoil it for you anyways. It's fine. It's a 20-year-old movie. Statue of Limitations is up on that. So personally, I haven't seen it either. But it's one of those movies that's talked about for having one of the best twist endings in cinema history. So I'm going to try to give you just a brief synopsis of it. But I really want you to get uh, understand where I'm going with this. So bear with me. So the movie starts off with FBI agent Jack Baer and U.S. Customs agent David Kugin investigating what happened on a boat. 27 men have been killed in a fire. The only survivors were a crippled man named Roger Verbal Kent and a hospitalized Hungarian criminal and a crewman of the boat. Baer uh, interrogates the Hungarian who claims that Kaiser Soze, a Turkish criminal mastermind, with a nearly mythical reputation, was in the harbor who took out all these men. He was given the description of Soze, while the police sketch artist draws a rendering of his face. Soze is a very important character to this story. So meanwhile, Verbal Kent tells the authorities everything he knows in exchange for immunity. After making his statement to the district attorney, Ken is taken into a police station office where Agent Kujin and Sergeant Rabin can kind of hear the story one more time. Take it from the top, take us through it. And so Verbal's tale kind of continues or starts six weeks earlier in New York City where an armored truck is being hijacked. The driver of the stolen truck was grabbed from behind and never saw the person or persons who accosted him. But the unknown hijacker said something to him. Subsequently, the NYPD kind of rounds up five criminals. Dean Keaton, the ringleader, Michael McManus, Fred Finster, Todd Hockney, and Verbal Kent himself, a con artist who suffers from cerebral palsy. All they, they're lined up in the police 
line up and are asked to say the phrase that the um, person heard. Later on, while they're sitting in the cell, one of the criminals convinces the others to kind of join forces in order to do another job for the corrupt, criminal, uh, corrupt cops who took them in. They all agree, and they do this job without any complications. Goes off without a hitch. They take all their stuff, go to California to sell it to one of their friends who can get the money for it. That same friend offers them another job, a job to steal jewels from a smuggler. They all agree, but instead of it being jewels, it was a lot of drugs. And so being angry and upset, they go confront the friend saying like, is this a setup, what's going on? And all the friend can say is, this lawyer named Kobayashi told him about the job. And as the five criminals will find out later that Kobayashi claims to work for the famous Sizer Soze, and he is blackmailing them to do another job for him. They know, he knows some things, and so if they don't do the job, then he will act on those things that he knows. And there's to destroy the cargo on that boat. And so they plan to attack the boat, they actually do it, and they tell Verbal to kind of hang back, right? His kind of physical abilities kind of hinder him from doing a lot of things. And so they tell him to hang back, right? Take this money and give it to the girlfriend of, of Keaton so that if anything goes wrong, she can kind of pursue Kobayashi in her own way. And so Verbal agrees. And so these other criminals attack the boat only to find that there's nothing on there that's what it's supposed to be. And so... As they found this out, they are all taken out by this dark cloaked figure, presumably Kaiser Soze, in the end. And so as Verbal kind of finishes his story, Agent Kujin reveals that he is deduced from the aid of his other agent friend that it was an assassination job disguised as a hijacking. The target was a person who knew Soze's identity, and so he decided to take him out as well as the other people on the boat. Kujin concluded that Keaton, the ringleader, was actually Kaiser Soze. Verbal admits that the whole idea from the beginning was Keaton's. And so from there, he posts bail and he departs with his immunity. Verbal retrieves all of his personal affects from the property office. And as Kujin is kind of relaxing in the office that he used to have this interrogation, he kind of notices some details and some names from Verbal's story appearing on objects around the room. There's a name on a wanted poster, for example. Kobayashi is written on the bottom of a coffee cup that Verbal was handling earlier. And quickly, he's starting to put these pieces together. He realized that Verbal made up practically the entire story as he told, as he talked about it. And as he runs outside, there's a fax that comes in with the police artist's impression of Kaiser Sose's face, which res resembles Verbal Kent. And as he leaves the police station, Verbal Kent's distinctive limp gradually disappears and he shakes out his palsied hand. He steps into a waiting car driven by Mr. Kobayashi, departing just as Kujin comes outside to see too late that Kent is gone. Verbal Kent is Kaiser Sose, and we are left to think how much of his story is truthful. If you watch this movie, it's like, wow, what a roller coaster, right? 
What a twist ending that was. Me talking about it does not give it justice. But I imagine this is how the disciples felt when they realized that they had been with Jesus this whole entire time, right? He was leaving them clues, evidence along the way, but it wasn't until Jesus broke bread, passed it to them, that they fully recognized what was happening and what was there. And it isn't until the director reveals everything do we realize Soze's identity. He was leaving these breadcrumbs, these pieces of evidence to prove who he was. But it wasn't until the end did he realize what was going on. And so if we follow the author's interpretation or instructions of what the disciples see, it's kind of amazing because just in this simple act at a table, as Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it and he passes it out to his disciples, what do you think that they see? They see his crucifixion marks on his hands and it begins to dawn on them that this is the risen Lord. These pieces of evidence offered prove that the crucified Christ was truly alive and was with them. And just like Jesus disappeared, so did their despair and confusion. And what does it say that they do next? They go back to Jerusalem, right? They go back the seven miles that they had just walked to share the good news of what they had just witnessed, just like the woman did from the tomb. This was so monumental that they could not just keep it to themselves. So what does this mean for us? On the third Sunday of Easter, we aren't caught off guard by Jesus' resurrection. We know the story of what happened. But I think we can kind of resonate with the disciples. I'd mentioned before at the beginning of the message, how often do we go somewhere, learn something, witness something, and not know its significance until much later? until something happens to trigger in us a new understanding, an event, or knowledge. The disciples who had witnessed all that Jesus had done through, all the things that God had done through Jesus, were still not grasping the significance of those events. It wasn't until Jesus, post-resurrection, reveals himself to disciples once more that they get it. This time, Jesus' revelation makes clear for his disciples the teachings, the events, the scriptures that the disciples already knew. Jesus took all these things and he took it to a whole new level of understanding for them. And it makes me think, when was the last time we got fresh perspective, fresh understanding from God? What fresh perspective have we gotten from his word and our journey lately? We receive fresh perspective by journeying with Jesus and diving into his word. Not just to know the stories, not just to know the people, the places, but to have an understanding of them and what they mean. The disciples knew the word, but they were still missing it. What is causing us to possibly miss out on what Jesus might be revealing to us? Busyness? pride, distractions. Jesus' revelation comes to us 
to help us interpret and to understand the biblical story and to understand our faith. However, we must be aware of it. We must be open to it. My prayer for us on this third Sunday of Easter is that we would open our hearts, we would open our ears to hear the scripture in a fresh new way. That we might have eyes to see what fresh perspective Jesus is revealing to us through our circumstances. My prayer is that our hearts would burn within us that we might receive fresh understanding, such fresh understanding that we can't help but to push us out into the world to share that life-changing good news with the world. So my question is, what is God saying to you lately? What fresh perspective are we getting from stories that we already know? And if things are getting in the way, maybe we need to get rid of those things in order to understand God at a fresh and new level. So as we go, I'm gonna have Aaron come and lead us through pretty famous, pretty well-known hymn, Ancient Words. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. I pray that as we are just soaking in these ancient words, that we get fresh perspective, the kind of perspective that kind of sends us out into the world to share with everyone we come in contact with. So stand with me as we're seeing this in our closing this morning.
resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing me. Father, I pray, Lord, that we can get fresh perspective from when we dive into your word, that we don't become oblivious to what you're doing in and through our lives, Lord, from the situations and the circumstances we are facing. I pray that the time that we're spending just soaking in your word, Lord, can allow that burning within us, Lord. The burning that the disciples felt because they knew something so familiar was being spoken to them. Let that burning feeling can send us out into this world to proclaim a message of grace and love and hope for our world. So Father, I pray, Lord, that that you'll give us fresh perspective and that you'll use us to send it out into a world that's in desperate need of your love and grace. We ask this in your son's precious and holy name. May the risen Lord meet you on the road, lead you in all truth, guide you on your path. May the risen Christ feed and sustain you, fill you with his presence, and equip you by his Holy Spirit. May the risen Christ go with you today, be with you this week, and dwell with you, and may you dwell with Christ forever. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.